Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can just peacefully. This was their finest. This episode is sponsored by Three Wishes Cereal. This is a real ad. Listen. Listen to us. I don't like that at all. (laughs) So guys, I got to tell you, I hate cereal. Like, I really just fucking can't stand cereal. So when Sean said that there's a cereal company that wants to sponsor us, you know, I told him I fucking hate cereal, man. You choose the flavor. Yeah. So we got this cereal and it's pretty fucking good. Nathan is right. Both Nathan and Stacy were like, eh, we're not that into cereal. So they let me pick. The company name is Three Wishes. And so I picked the cocoa, cocoa flavor. But it's not the only flavor they have, right? Right. They actually have an unsweetened cereal for people who want to like really rough it. And then they have a cinnamon and a honey flavor. And I mean, honestly, they all sounded pretty good to me, but I think cocoa, it was a good choice. I liked it. Again, guys, like we had a bowl of this cereal and really like, God, I had this epiphany because I'm like one of those like terrible retrograde reprobate kind of guys who's like, eh, the cereal's made of all sorts of cool plant stuff, right? Like, like what's it made out of? It's like made out of chickpea and, and what else is in there? Yeah, chickpea, pea protein, tapioca, lots of pea sounds in there. All that shit sounds like terrible to me. Sure. In fact, dude, it was like crunchier than yeah. most cereal I'm used to. Yes. It had like good bite to it. Yes. It felt like I was eating something and not just like goop that some co- corporation told me is supposed to be tasty for breakfast. No, I mean, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because seriously, the crunchiness of it and it like it held up for a little while in the milk and everything like that. It had pretty good chocolate flavor. It wasn't super sweet. I mean, I guess cereals from like when we were kids, super fucking sweet. This one's not that sweet. Yeah. It has good flavor too. You know, because like the other type of cereal that's like, oh, grandma's sugar mush, you know, for (laughs) for your dead mouth, right? Like, like there's like really boring cereals. And like, this is tasty, but it wasn't too sweet. It had a lot of crunch to it. It felt like I was eating something a little more substantial to the point of which I was like, whatever fucking nerd ass scientists they have making this shit, (laughs) all cereal companies should hire this guy. And and like, whatever they make cereal out of, fuck those people. They should make cereal out of this crazy ass tapioca shit that they're making (laughs) this crazy shit cereal out of. It was pretty good. Yeah, so two things that didn't really matter to us, but we should probably say, is Mm. that this cereal has a lot of protein in it. In each serving, it's got eight grams of protein. You guys know I don't need more protein, but maybe you do. It's also gluten-free, which is nice for some people. Yeah. That also does not matter to us. Yeah, and it's vegan, which also I think matters. I'm one of those, like, terribly amoral people who, like, kind of thinks we should slowly get more and more vegetarian with our broader diet. Yeah, I'm me included. But I'm like, yeah, someday lab-based meat will be good. And so, like, whenever there's something that actually happens to be vegan and is tasty, that's, like, it's cool, right? Like, I'm glad. That's why I'm an alcoholic. No cows are harmed (laughs) when I drink vodka. So there's a lot of stuff that this doesn't have. So if people are on the lookout, they're trying to avoid wheat, dairy, soy, oats, corn, rice, peanuts. None of that shit is in here. Pretty impressive. So you can avoid all of that. And, listeners, you can get a discount, right? So if you go to threewisheserial.com, 
three wishes cereal. It's all spelled out, so no numbers in there. Three wishes cereal. If you use the code PODCAST10, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0, then you can get 10% off. I don't eat cereal, but I thought it was pretty freaking good. Okay, so get yourself some three wishes freaking cereal. And as an added bonus, you look on the back, you see the faces of the family or whatever who owns the company. One of them is just straight up George Lucas. (laughs) (laughs) One of them is just fucking George Lucas. Nailed it. (laughs) Add done. (laughs) George Lucas and his secret Canadian family (laughs) made this cereal. (laughs) So that's right. Go to www.3wishescereal.com. Promo code PODCAST10 to buy George Lucas' cereal. (laughs) Fuck. Hey guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. Guys, this is of course going to release later, but we're recording on election day before all the results are in, uh, except Vermont and Kentucky. Uh, (laughs) Those ones, we got them in the bag already. We know. I think the problem with modern presidential politics is that it obfuscates how disappointing Kentucky is, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, people think about it in terms of Mitch McConnell, which is great. Henry Clay came from Kentucky. That's true. Right, like, That's true. You're talking about like the fall from grace. Yeah, like the first great statesman of like paid for national improvements. You know, I, I know that sounds esoteric, but like he was one of the greats of the early Congress. Sure. Henry Clay is a huge figure. He's a big deal. And also, I've been to Lexington, Kentucky. What? And I had... In what context uh, did you go to Lexington? I had to do experiments on monkeys. That sounds like you were experimented on. I think I think if a man wakes up in Kentucky, <laughs> he's, he's missing a liver, right? <laughs> uh, there could be multiple reasons for a trip. Yeah. Um, but I went um, bourbon tasting. Oh, cool. And at the bourbon tasting, they gave me candied bacon to have kind of like with my That's bourbon. That's really cool. And it was very good. And so for hmm. a place with candied bacon, bourbon, and Henry Clay... What's going on? It is on? true. <laughs> what the fuck, Kentucky? Very disappointing. Because <laughs> yeah. that's a pretty cool state. Okay. That shouldn't be so shit. <laughs> I'm going to keep going for a second. Just because <laughs> I knew you went to... Ken- uh, first of all, I forgot Lexington's a place. Second, I forgot it was Kentucky. Okay. So there's layers. To- so, which also meant I forgot you went to Kentucky. I knew about your visit because of the experiments you did. Mm-hmm. And we had talked so much about the trauma of your experiments. Yeah. Uh, which we don't have to revisit now. Thank you. But, but, <laughs> but we talked so much about the trauma of the experiments... I didn't even know you went bourbon tasting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is usually the only thing we talk about. Yes, yes. That was a it was a very nice experience. <laughs> Bracketed by in, horrific yeah. Frankenstein-esque experiments. In in sharp contrast <laughs> to me nearly fainting uh, during, during the process of these experiments. Yes. So Sean, yes. N- we're gonna have you on record. It's four PM the uh, Pacific time on Tuesday election day in yeah. America. Yeah. Who won and why? Yeah, I'm saying Trump won. Because okay, he's ahead right now in the Electoral College. That's true. He's got eight to three, Kentucky versus Vermont. Yes. And so I'm calling it for Trump. I'm calling it for Trump. <laughs> I'm going to do what the Trump campaign did. All right? All that matters is the votes that are counted by 4 p.m. <laughs> well, they have a lot of lawyers on standby to handle all of the extra votes that are going to be yeah. coming in Brett later. Kavanaugh. <laughs> so. Yeah, he wrote a very good opinion. He was like, after Kentucky, votes don't count because it would cause chaos in the election. We wouldn't know, <laughs> yeah. we wouldn't know what votes matter after Kentucky. 
what? Yeah, if we don't stop elections at some point, we're just always voting. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, we we, uh, we know some, at least I know some people who were very mad about the Brett Kavanaugh hearings on the more Republican end, who were like, man, they, they're trying to tear down a good man or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, for which, you know, obviously there's a whole debate about all of that. Yeah. But, like, you know, what I appreciate about Brett Kavanaugh's rulings is that it reminds you the main axis of disliking a public figure is their ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would say there's something nice about public figures expressing their ideas so that you can feel yeah. justified in hating them. Yeah. It works out a lot better. Yeah. You know? I, I buy that. It's what yeah. I love about Neil Gorsuch. Is I can just think he shouldn't be on the court. <laughs> that had to be about other things. He's a Boy Scout. But it's like, he just... <laughs> Aren't there other courts for this guy? <laughs> I mean, there were. Yes. Ah, uh, c'est la vie. Okay. okay, that's our politics out of our system. Yeah. You know, all this politics talk, if you're like me, you've been eating a lot. Oh. Uh, unlike me, I'm not stressed. I just eat a lot. <laughs> but maybe because of the election, because of COVID, because of the people who have left you in your lives, you know, your pets, they're all dead. Wow. Yeah, like Adventure Time. They they said that there are going to be some more stuff on HBO Max. They released one BMO episode, and then they stopped releasing more episodes. Sure. What's going on? Sure, we're all feeling an acute sense of loss. I get it. Maybe because of that, you're eating a lot. <laughs> or maybe because of it, you're actually eating less. Stress has a really interesting and complicated relationship to consumption. Right, and sometimes it seems contradictory, right? Because, I mean, you can't get <laughs> any more stark a dichotomy of yeah. <laughs> something making you eat more or Here's less Here's a paradoxical one. When I get stressed, I stress eat, but I only eat vegetables. Oh, wow. You know that's a lie. That is a lie, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. complicated. You know, I, <laughs> but, you know, like, but, you know, a lot of people stress eat, a lot of people um, eat less. We want to delve into that. Biologically, why is that happening? Yes. This episode today, we're going to talk about the reasons why people stress eat, the reasons why people maybe don't have an appetite when they're stressed out, and then the reasons why people might actually have stomach pain when they're stressed out, aside from ulcers, which we covered last episode. So, let's do this thing. Guys, so another episode of Fireside, the scientist and bartender. <laughs> So, Sean, I think probably one of the most famous uh, effects of stress is eating a lot. Right. I think that whether it is actually happening, a lot of people perceive it to happen. Right. Right. I always can't tell the difference between stress eating and being a fatty. For me, (laughs) they're all very interchangeable. Right? I mean... I'm stressed, I'm not stressed. (laughs) You're never stressed. (laughs) So doesn't that kind of tilt things in the direction of the other option? I've I've had a lot of epiphanies through these stress episodes. And my epiphany for these notes is that I think I am stressed sometimes, of course. I mean, like anybody. Sure. Uh, Sometimes there's a villain with a gun and I need to run, right? I have physiological stress. That happens. No, but sometimes I'm stressed and uh, I just realize I immediately gratify myself with food. (laughs) So like, so like it doesn't fester. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like other people, they like wrestle with their stress. They're like Israel in the Old Testament. They struggle with that stress. And I just immediately, I'm like, I feel stressed and I just fucking decked up Panda Express. 
right? So, so I'm just as stressed as you are. It's just like deal with it immediately and efficaciously. You got little uh, Ziploc bags of orange chicken just like stashed in strategic locations to just like eat a little bit in case. I don't want to reveal all my secrets, but but I'll, I'll just say in general, there's a reason I'm three inches shorter than you and like 40 pounds heavier. <laughs> Wow, nailed it. Okay. Um, well, it's good. I'm glad that you're having some kind of epiphany from our episodes. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> I had a lot of epiphanies during our Magic Mushrooms one. Well, it was like being on Mushrooms. Oh, okay. But just talking about it got in my brain. Well, it's interesting because it, with the Magic Mushrooms thing, I'm the one who wants to do them, and you are like pretty adamantly against doing so. I've turned a corner. I okay. visited Joshua Tree. <laughs> I wasn't on Shrooms there, but as I was watching the sun go down, I was like, Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll do some shrooms here. Sure. And it's funny, for a desert, you feel very unimperiled because there's so many, you know, white people around. And they're... <laughs> so you know it's safe. <laughs> and so, you know, you're like, I could do drugs here and it'll be all right. Sure, yeah. sure. You saw all the Stacys and Chads and you're like, there's probably not any chupacabras around. Stacy has different meanings to me because <laughs> I'm married true. to Stacy. That's true. Sounds like <laughs> Stacy. So yes. for me, a Stacy is like a petite Asian woman who's been radicalized by living in Trump's America. Do you have a Stacy term replacement when you think about? I guess like, I guess like, so it's interesting how like Karen technically is supposed to mean like a middle-aged yes. white yeah. woman. Right. Yeah. So for me, I guess like, hey. Mayonnaise don't crack, right? Like, middle-aged, younger, I don't know the age of a white girl. <laughs> wow. Okay. So. That's great. Um, okay. Oh, God, I just yeah. want to eat so much Panda Express right now. I don't have a great segue into this next sentence, I'm going to say, because <laughs> we went pretty far afield. But in nature, okay, when I normally think about animals being stressed out, for yeah. example, a lot of the experiments I do you could reasonably assume would stress out the mice that I work with, for example. Yeah, um, like just like putting New Girl up for like four seasons straight. <laughs> and not just the later ones, the early seasons. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like you can feel the turning point at the end of season one or two, right? You're like, oh, this is about to get better. But then it just goes back to season one. And you're like, no! does you know? I think the uh, the showrunner for that show put a lot of herself into it yeah. in the first season. Yeah. And then as she kind of like backed off a little bit. Right. Got a little bit more breathing room. So what stresses mice might stress humans. Sure, sure. But right. what I was going to say is that mice have a tendency to lose weight mm. when they're stressed out. So in fact, one way that you can tell if mice are distressed or sick or are being hurt by a treatment that you're giving them or something like that is a drop in body weight because yeah. they will eat less when they're distressed. Yeah, whereas I'm literally 50 pounds more stressed than I was in 2016. <laughs> so, you know, th there is this kind of paradoxical thing where my first thought when I think about animals is losing weight when you're stressed, but also my first thought when I think about people is gaining weight when you're stressed. Well, right? we're different type of creature than animals right? <laughs> we're part of a different kingdom the kingdom of god <laughs> so you know i mean it makes sense we're different from the beasts over which we were given dominion <laughs> keep going so well okay so for people i mean you're kind of right that there is this trend when you survey a bunch of people in the u.s about 50 percent say that they increase the consumption of unhealthy foods when they're stressed out which is actually much lower than I would anticipate. I mean, again, for some reason to me, like everyone's Jenna Maroney and just muffin topping the second they don't get <laughs> sure, a roll. Sure. Right? She, she, uh, that, that one was uh, eating a bunch of pizza. Yeah. Right? yeah. She was doing Mystic a pizza. Mystic pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, 30 Rock. Anyway, um, 
But they also increase a lot of other unhealthy habits, like smoking and drinking. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this episode is like speaking my language, dude. Oh yeah, you're like, it's really, <laughs> it's really just, popping off in your brain. I just see myself everywhere in these notes. <laughs> so in our previous discussion about stress pathways, right, we had an episode that was called the HPA axis of evil, right? right? But then we also talked about in a later episode the sympathetic nervous system, right? And so that's also we didn't give it a name, unlike HPA, but sometimes it's abbreviated SAM. As the sympathetic adrenomedullary system. Yeah, surface-to-air missiles. Medullary system? Whatever, anyway. So, SAM. So, some studies in mice suggest that the HPA axis is more activated by overwhelming stress. Or, like, problems that we don't feel like we're equipped to overcome. Oh, wow. This is perfect timing for this election. Am I right? <laughs> right. And so that kind of stress is sometimes called threat stress. Okay. As opposed to what's called challenge stress, which is still... Oh, that's interesting. It's still an issue that you need to deal with, right. but you feel like you're equipped to do it. It's just it, Maybe it's annoying. Maybe it still stresses you out, but you're like, you know what? I can handle this. I just don't want to because it sucks. Right. Right. So the difference between challenge and threat stress, threat in mice seems to activate the HPA axis more. Right. And... The sympathetic, the SAM sort of system seems to get activated more by challenge stress, the one that's easier to handle. So it's kind of like the difference between being Neil Armstrong and having to go to the moon and all the challenges you confront and being an audience member and having to sit through the whole movie first, man, <laughs> which is just a threat. Yeah, you're, you're like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I already paid money. I can't get out of this. <laughs> they lock the doors. because like, you need to like this director's movies. You didn't see Whiplash? You didn't like Whiplash? That's funny because the, the example in Mice is like if they can run away or not. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just banging on the doors. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to yell fire. <laughs> yeah, if something scary happens but mice can run away, they feel in control. At uh, least like they, there's something that they can do. Right, right. But if something is happening and they're restrained and they can't really move, then that's like an overwhelming stress and is exactly like watching First Man. So, yeah. <laughs> my main argument for incompetence is that I was incompetent about most things in my young life. And now when confronted with a threat that is completely insurmountable, I just relax. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, well, dad will handle it. <laughs> uh, Nate, what's that saying about, you know, being able to recognize the things that you can't change? And There's every... a saying for that? It's like a... Blowing in the wind. It's like, God grant me the strength to overcome balls and to recognize the things that I can't change. I think that was right. (laughs) (laughs) I remember Grandpa Buzz saying that a lot. (laughs) The balls part definitely rings true. That came out of Grandpa Buzz's mouth. (laughs) Goddamn hit a ball. Um, Well, so (laughs) this dichotomy between threat and challenge, between the HPA axis and the SAM signaling, seems to match up a little bit with... Stress eating versus inappetence or not wanting to eat at all. Okay. So the HPA axis, when that does go off in mice, you have a tendency to see them want to eat more food afterward. Okay. Whereas with the SAM one, the one that's with challenge stress, seems to instead result in more like inappetence. That kind of makes sense because like we had talked about how stress kind of shuts down other parts of your body that aren't that important. Sure. There's a challenge you got to do right now. Right. You got to surmount it. Yeah. Whereas like if it's a threat, it's like a long winter. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to change the winter. So let's just bulk up, get fat. Right. And get through this one. Yeah. I think that's totally right. And, you know, I will say that this doesn't necessarily exist as a dichotomy in the sense that only one can happen at the exclusion of the other. I'm about to ambush you. Oh no. It's like the difference between Truman and Korea and America versus the Soviet Union. 
was like, oh, well, North Korea, let's just kill those guys, <laughs> right? That's a very surmountable challenge. Okay. But you're like looking at all those nukes the Soviet Union has, you're like, well, let's just bulk up on nukes, <laughs> right? Let's like really pat our belly of nuclear weapons, right? <laughs> That's a threat. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're just going to stick to the Korean War, what I was about to say is that sometimes the challenge Sam response morphs into an overwhelming threat. Right, as China comes right. in, we're like, oh, get the nukes! As soon as the Red Army crept over the border, we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> peace, peace, peace! We're just pressing the peace button. Like, oh, no, what have we done? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you can have this shift uh, right, from okay. something being a challenge and then circumstances changing, and uh, then now it's a threat. It's something that, you're, that overwhelms you. Very cool. Okay. When we look at emotional stress in rats... That was found to increase the consumption of sugary water, whereas physical stress was found to decrease the consumption of sugary okay, water. Okay, well, now this is sounding a lot like humans. Yeah. Right? Because if you're some bitch, <laughs> and you, you're like Amelia in Barcelona, and your show didn't get greenlit, even though you also don't speak French... Right, like ah, you, yeah, that's I a got deep you. cut. Wow, you're just chugging on that sugar water now, right? <laughs> like you're bulking up because you, you, your career's gone. <laughs> Whereas, uh, you know, if you're like a soldier in World War II, you get skinny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the studies that was actually done in the past was on Marines in warfare, and it was that oh. they did lose weight and that they consumed less food. Right. Some of which the authors of the study were like. Maybe they were busy. <laughs> They're just like looking at all these corpses being like lost weight. Yeah. Some percentage of this might be yeah. they were too busy to eat very much food. Right, but... but then they also surveyed Marines who were just sitting on an aircraft carrier being all stressed about who was going to dance with who at the ball. <laughs> and those guys bulked up. Yeah, they gained that beer belly. Anyway, another study was done with Syrian hamsters. The Syrian hamsters were put through uh, what was called a social defeat experiment. ISIS. <laughs> what? Well, oh, there's Syrians. ISIS hamsters. Syrians, okay. And okay. the ISIS hamsters were defeated, <laughs> and they were sad, and then they lost some weight. So the way the social defeat experiment worked is you took young, small hamsters, and you put them in a cage with an older, bigger hamster. Like the Alawites and Bashir al-Assad. Wow, you're going to keep doing the Syria thing, huh? Yeah, yeah. All right, dude. well, in any case, so then the big Chad hamster would, like, beat up the smaller hamster. All of a sudden, Turkey's coming in. This Turkish <laughs> hamster is like, I'm going to take northern Kurdish territories. <laughs> Getting very confusing. And the American hamster is like, it, it, it was confusing. The Russian hamster's like, I'm going to give you some extra pellets, okay? You could drop on these bitch-ass small hamsters. And American hamsters are like, no, this is not for me. There's no fields here. So the American <laughs> American hamster, a chinchilla, just like totally decked out. And the Syrian hamster is very hungry. Whoa. Yeah. I don't even remember what we were talking about anymore. <laughs> but you got to remember, Sean, there's different types of Syrian hamsters too. There's Druze hamsters. There's Sunni and Shiite hamsters. Fuck. There's these ancient Christian communities of hamsters. That's true. Right? There's fucking Yazidid hamsters. Those guys have it the worst. I, sh I shouldn't have bothered. <laughs> I don't know why I brought this up. I don't know why I said Syrian to me. Because <laughs> you know when there's a single adjective in your notes I understand, I glob on. <laughs> I don't have a lot to work with. Anyway, so. look, these hamsters are usually housed alone, okay? And they tend to get stressed out when you put them into group situations. When these little hamsters get beat up, they get very stressed out and they end up eating more and they have a tendency to want to eat fattier foods mm. after these social defeat encounters. Like Donner. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Is Donner. Donner fatty? I don't know. I, I thought... It actually doesn't seem that fatty. Yeah. Right. 
That's good. Whatever. I like Donner. <laughs> it's tasty. Yeah. When they took some rats and they took out their adrenal glands. Right? So the adrenal glands are the ones that make cortisol and everything like that. Okay. You just right? cut it right out. Just get rid of them. Gross. Okay. Those rats no longer feel like drinking sweet and low water. <laughs> you know sweet and low, the little, uh, the little pink packets? Yeah. So the... I think I used to try to eat them alone, like an El Sombrero they don't restaurant. taste good. Ah, uh, yeah, well, you should have told me then, man. I remember, I feel like I remember trying to get the sugar packs and the aspartame packs at El Sombrero, I think specifically. And mom be like, hey, sh-, right? <laughs> be like, stop drinking sugar. And, uh, you know, you try to wait till mom's not looking and go, so I can glug the sugar pack. The sweet and low ones are not good. And I still get flawed. <laughs> <laughs> but if you took those rats and you injected them with cortisol, Right, so that stress hormone. If you inject them with cortisol, then they go back to enjoying this sweet drink, and they they just like go after it basically. Hmm. Um, and they can tell it's not strictly a caloric thing because you don't actually get calories out of sweet and low, right? But it, oh yeah, but isn't one of those things where like sugars in general, like you can just like smack those up, make ATP real fast with sugar specifically, and just like start charging with it. Whereas, like, proteins and fats and stuff, you got to, like, really chug through and, like, meticulize yes. energy production. Yeah. yeah. I think metabolize is probably somewhere supposed to be in that sentence. But, yeah. Uh, I, well, no. meticulize <laughs> is, like, a very specific metabolize. I agree with you, though, that sugar and then, like, sucrose into glucose gets used pretty much immediately. Whereas both with fat and protein, you got you to gotta work it a little bit more. Protein's actually pretty tough to get energy out of. Wait, so sweet and low. Yeah. You also metabolize sweet and low, right? Like, I know you know you don't at all. It just tastes like sugar. Yeah. Fuck my ass and call me a bitch. It, it so binds does... the receptors on your tongue, but it, uh... it doesn't give you any energy. It's zero calories. That's why you looked at me like an idiot. When I was, <laughs> uh, oh, you looked at me like I'm the idiot. As I said all that stupid ass shit. Because you were like, Nathan thinks. <laughs> He's saying a thing that matters. If I'm being honest, <laughs> I thought you knew that sweet and low didn't. Is not metabolized. It's really tragic, the extent to which I don't understand fundamental things about science and nutrition. Like, I knew it didn't give you calories. That's, like, the whole premise of it, right? Yeah. But, like, I guess in my head, I was like, oh, well, it's a sugar that's not calories. (laughs) (laughs) My bad. (laughs) It's it's a molecule that sets off the same receptor for the taste of sweetness. So why isn't it just in everything always? Like, that sounds like kind of a sweetheart deal. Well, I think a lot of those kinds of sweeteners do get put into a lot of stuff. Right. That's kind of cool. Don't they cause, like, cancer or something, Sean? Or, like, goop or something? So, at the end of the day, it's unlikely. Right, okay. That they actually do. Okay. Whether or not they're as biologically inert as we thought. As we hope. Is maybe a little bit different. Because there's some things that suggest that when you taste something sweet, your body prepares for sugar. Ah, interesting. Okay. So things like insulin levels and stuff like that. You prepare to have sugar in your oh, bloodstream. So it might not even be that useful of a replacement. Well, it's fine if you like don't want the calories and you just want something sweet there. But if you're like a diabetic or something. Right. right. Yeah. So some of those things, it might still change some stuff in your blood chemistry. But speaking of diabetics, one thing I'll say is that in humans, the cortisol levels or the reactivity of the cortisol, like how much a change in cortisol affects you. Yeah does seem to kind of get mixed together with insulin levels. Oh, cool. And that seems to really set off a desire in people to eat some kind of sugary or fatty food. I buy it. I think one of the earlier experiments I mentioned about 
rats was about how there's this difference between physiological and psychosocial stress in terms of like them wanting to eat or something right, right okay and so it does seem like the psychosocial one increases their desire to eat sort of the sweeter stuff okay so they just sound like us then yeah 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 i think so cool but then all of that said i think you're a little too empathetic towards rats these days man what i think because you spend more time with rodents than humans yes though that is accurate I especially think, right now i think you you just i think they're just more and more people to you and people are more and more npcs yeah i mean right now i'd say ranking wise it's like dogs mice Democrats. <laughs> Democrats, cats, Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got your, like, Joe Jorgensen voters. <laughs> and it's like, amoeba are, like, definitely more useful. Yeah. yeah. What, are you kidding me? Okay. So here, how about this? Let, let's take a break. I think at this point, I've convincingly laid out that there seems to be a lot of evidence that there's reasons why stress or stressful circumstances that can cause you did want to eat sugary things and stuff like that. And I've convincingly laid out why we need a more robust response to the Syrian crisis. Yes. No, that, that was an excellent use of time. <laughs> um, so uh, let's so, see if it makes it. Let's, let's take a break. And then when we come back, what I'd want to talk about is what are some hypotheses for biologically what's happening, right? Because the, right. a lot of this stuff was like, does it exist? Right. And I think the answer is, yeah, it seems kind of like it, but how right and so let's do that when we come right back. all this and more on the pope's civil union comments <laughs> well we're gonna cut it anyway petri <laughs> <Yes>. dish <laughs> more on petri dish <laughs> petri baby why <laughs> petri baby my name is jimmy coconuts and if you're like me you're sad that my four years of amazing cocoa sales nationwide has just come to an end now, my loyal coconut supporters, I'm not going to concede to that Chiquita Banana Lobby just quite yet. But it's looking like my time may be over. Except it's not, friends! I have all sorts of amazing new coconut sales ready for you! 2022 is going to be an incredible midterm coconut sale of little coconuts 50% off nationwide! 2024 will be another huge coconut sale! 2026, 2028, 2030, 2032, 2034, 2036, on and on and on and on and on. Always oh, there's gotta be more coconuts tweeting, more coconuts saying crazy shit everywhere all the time. It's never gonna end. 70 million Americans want you to buy more coconuts. So don't worry, friends. Jimmy Coconuts and his crazy cocoa supporters, we're not going away. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget to come to Jimmy Coconuts, Coconut Emporium, down in Orange County. So, Sean, so far this conversation's kind of existed in this 1950s bubble where, like, is stress real or is it just housewives mad they don't have the new TV dinner? Fuck. Okay, but we've established that stress is real! <laughs> or like stress eating is, I guess, whatever. Sure, yeah. But like biochemically, bro, what the fuck is happening? Right. Okay. So one of the options here, one of the hypotheses is that all of the stress is connected to our ability to pay attention to something, to focus on something. Right. And so if you remember in our stress brain episode, we talked about the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus, right? There are these parts of your brain that are all important for eventually setting off like the HPA axis right. and everything, right? 
And the prefrontal cortex is part of your cerebral cortex. That's like the thinking part of your brain. Right, right? cool. And that means that the prefrontal cortex is actually pretty important for attention. Okay, cool. Especially conscious attention. Like you're like, I need to accomplish this task. I need to pay attention to this thing. Right. Right. There's actually a different part of your brain that provides certain kinds of attentions to sensory things that are interesting looking. Right. Flashing lights, things that are changing colors, things that smell really good. Okay. All can draw your attention, but we don't really think about it as like conscious attention, right? Mm. You're not paying attention to it because you choose to. It's just like it's attention grabbing. Okay, sure. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, okay. So there are those two so kinds of attention. That's how Fox News works on a physiological level. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, from your sensory cortex. A uh, Republican just smells their TV and they can smell Tucker Carlson. <laughs> yeah. That's how strong he smells. He's got a musk. He's got over a, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell that dude's got a musk. Did you hear? This? I only think of this because of musk, and musk makes me think of like beavers and stuff. Okay. And beavers make me think of Russia. I saw this crazy article. A guy named the Sausage King. He's this plutocrat in Russia of processed meats. He got shot with a crossbow to death in his sauna. Okay, some armed guys broke in. His second wife crawled out the window, and he got fucking with a fucking crossbow. And so the headline was like, Sausage King in Russia killed with crossbow. <laughs> that should be the next season of Fargo. Doesn't that sound exactly like a Fargo season? <laughs> Well, and it's funny, Sean and I watched this Swedish movie called Force Majeure recently, which mm-hmm. I think we enjoyed and and, and, and Dad absolutely hated because he resents <laughs> that sort of interfamilial passive-aggressive conflict. Okay. But uh, the Russian guy's not a bad-looking guy. He kind of looked a little Swede to me. And I was like, that would be a great version of this story, would be like the very passive-aggressive, quiet story of the murder of the Sausage King. Beautiful. <laughs> I love it. With, like, the slight absurdist qualities that Europeans have really mastered ever since the trench warfare. If you guys want to see that film, donate to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Petri Dish. We'll make it. Yeah, let's crowdfund this thing. We do need, like, $100,000. <laughs> but, but, you know. Um, so, uh, but the idea is that we have two different kinds of attention. Yes. Right? Prefrontal cortex, conscious attention. And then we have this kind of sensory cortex attention grabbing things right okay and what we see is that with stress especially that kind of overwhelming threat stress it really hits the amygdala pretty hard and then you actually kind of see a deactivating of your prefrontal cortex that's cool and so that means that you have a harder time consciously deciding to stay focused on something uh, which is called top-down focus and instead you see more of a bottoms-up focus from your sensory cortex yeah so flashing things are easier for you to pay attention to. It's called salience, things that are very salient in your environment. And part of that could be, you could imagine, like a survival thing. Or like a 538 website page. Are they that salient? They are to me, man. (laughs) (laughs) They got like a lot of flashing political stuff, and you're like, oh, yeah! I mean, honestly, just bright red and bright blue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm the... Changing stuff. Yeah, you're talking more like Pokemon, seizure-inducing, like... Pikachu! Like, like, I got the kids all fucked up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a lot of advertisements or something, you know, commercials right. and stuff like that. You right. See changing colors and everything. So it could be that stressful situations make it harder for us to consciously focus on things. Yeah. And make it so that things like delicious smells mm. are more important to us and could make us hungrier or want those things more. Right. One sort of set of studies found that. People who are more likely to stress eat are, well, so first of all, women, apparently, okay. from this study. 
I wish we had a female co-host. Overweight yeah. people have a tendency to stress eat more. Right. And then the last one is people who are restricting their diet. So people who are like, I can only eat certain things or I can only eat certain amounts or at certain times. Right. That self-control, it could be that your attention on that self-control sort of dissipates a little bit. I remember now. This is the other epiphany I had reading these notes is, you know, I'll try to do intermittent fasting for uh-huh. one day. Sure. And the next day I see one in and out ad and it's like eight burgers. <laughs> <laughs> There's not even a lot of flashing lights on an in and out ad. It's just a burger. <laughs> but I'm in that line immediately, man. You like see it. You can start to smell. My pupils dilate. Yeah. <laughs> like I freak out. So this is maybe linked to something called cognitive load. Which is uh, basically the brain like, poops out. <laughs> it's like uh, it's when, a fat load. When you're stressed out, a lot of times it's because stuff is going on. You might have things on your mind. Right. Your right? CPU hits 100%. Right. So your right. brain is already burdened. Right. And you don't have any more RAM to be yeah. tossing around. Yeah. And so things like, oh, I need to watch what I eat. Or like, man, I probably shouldn't have that extra cookie. It's hard to even it's think like fucking, that way. Yeah. Forget about that. You're busy. It's interesting how humans are different from each other, right? Because, you know, in you describing that, I really am that way where like I'm hungry and I smell a thing and I like fucking cannot remember how to read. Like I'm like, <laughs> so fucking, I need that burger. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, I'm reading the New York Times. I'm a fancy boy. <laughs> it's like, I can't do it anymore. One thing I wonder, which I didn't look up for these notes because it just came up while you were talking, yeah. is whether the hangry situation is uh, from a similar phenomenon like it's like a loss of top-down control right because right. you're like stressed out and you're hungry right. and you're like i don't i'm not gonna fucking control myself anymore like right. fuck, fuck this dude yeah in particular yeah so there's another not exclusive hypothesis on this which is that tasting tasty stuff yeah makes you feel good yes and when you're stressed out a lot of times you feel bad it's called negative affect and you're not feeling good right now and you eat something and it tastes good and you're like, hey, fucking, I feel better, right? It's like a very simple thing to describe in words. Yeah, no. but like that, that could also be a not at all mutually exclusive right. phenomenon where it's just a way of making yourself feel better. I, that is, that's a hedonistic rant I went off on Stacy like a couple years ago where like she was trying to tell me to eat less for the last couple of days uh-huh. and it was late at night and I think I got back from work and I was like crying. And I was like, we're all going to die someday, <laughs> Stacy. We need to eat good things that we like. Mm. Who cares if I die at 70 instead of 80? We're all going to die anyway. I'll be worms food just like you. Let me eat this. But and what's always funny about like, like I'm crying. <laughs> I'm like flipping down the corner of my apartment. And it's like over a taco bell burrito. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, like she's, she's basically grabbing my burrito being like, don't eat the third one. And I'm like, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, we're all gonna die. Let me eat this burrito. I just want to be happy. <laughs> and I always think about Godfather 2 when Corleone dies from like a heart attack alone in the tomato. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know why I think that, but I'm just like, we're all gonna die of a heart attack in the tomato garden. Sure, sure. <laughs> Let me eat the tomatoes. Sure. He, he survived the shooting and is just, he ended up dying, uh, you know, in the right. tomato garden. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so, you know... Um, <laughs> yeah, and so... Uh, I, I am trying to <laughs> move off of the image of you, like, in the corner crying about a burrito. Naked. <laughs> um, there was a study where they looked at these people with high self-reported scores in what's called perceived life stress. 
So there these people that are like, my life is very stressful. And there are also people who have a very high negative affect from stress, right. which is to say that when they're stressed out, they feel bad. Right. I think, in my mind anyway, stress and feeling bad go hand in hand. But for some people, stress is a motivating force. Right. It's actually positive and... Yeah. Right. And it doesn't have to be only one thing for a person. It's just like some people, it's a mix, right? It's like, oh, I'm stressed, but like, I'm going to go get him. Right. right. Like dad's huge dong is rock hard when he's stressed. I think a lot of athletes get stressed in games and stuff like that. Right. But they're going to go out and they're going to perform. Right. LeBron. Right. So it turns out people with higher negative affect from stress tend to stress eat more. And also tend to feel more relieved when they stress eat. Right. In that they see a bigger swing in their mood. The food's delicious. Right. And they feel much better. Right. And so it kind of lends some credence to this idea that like, it's almost like self-medicating. Okay, cool. And it's just, it's doing something nice that feels good. Well, on that note, let's take a break. It's a nice feel good end to that segment. Yeah. After this, we're going to talk about... People who are, like, functionally Martians to me. <laughs> I have much more common with rats and mice than I do these people. It's people who eat less when they're stressed. Yeah. All that and those sick fucks after a break. <laughs> the following is an actual advertisement. Hi, I'm Alana, and I'm a fourth-year PhD student. I'm more than likely re-editing that manuscript for the 22nd time, or maybe I'm in my fourth Zoom meeting today. Who can tell? But mostly, I'm probably working on my podcast. It's called Dear Grad Student, and it's a podcast for grad students to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through grad school. Each week, I interview other grad students and academics about their experience from imposter syndrome, psychom, dealing with mentors, racism in academia, or, you know, all the other joys that come along with grad school. Not a grad student? Maybe you're thinking about grad school. Maybe you just finished and you really want to reminisce about the painfully glorious days. Either way, I think you should come check it out. You can find the podcast at deargradstudent.buzzsprout.com, twitter.com slash deargradstudent, or on your favorite podcast app. New episodes are posted every Monday. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana. Inappetence. I think people are broadly more... Is that the word for it? Inappetence. That sounds like an old word for, like, not paying the church and so you don't go to heaven. Probably. But it means... Penance. Not having an appetite. I'm so literary. (laughs) People are, I think, more broadly kind of familiar with stress eating. Right, because we make fun of fatties in our society. So it's like has more negative connotations. I'm going to rephrase that because I think that's a good point. But I feel bad about how I call them fatties. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go Especially since I'm one of them. Sure. But like, you know, in our society, we I think we're more familiar with stress eating because we stigmatize being overweight. Yes. Uh, whereas we're like all about Kate Moss blown away in the breeze, right? And so inappetence is actually very much a part of stress. We just focus on stress eating because we have more derision towards it. Yeah, and... The situation I mentioned earlier, not only do I think broadly in the animal kingdom, a lot of the stress that they experience ends up manifesting as inappetence. Right. But also with human beings, like 30% of people at least report that they reduce food intake when they're stressed. Right. It's just like us and elephants basically, right? And whales, right? Because like, I mean, like whales would be the size of dolphins weren't they not so stressed, (laughs) you know? And elephants would be the size of zebras, but they're so stressed. They get thick, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's just like us. It's like Americans. So Americans would be the size of Chinese. We're not for all our stress. I think at some point... <laughs> fuck. Uh, I think at some point we're going to have an episode where we talk about 
being overweight and obesity and stuff like that. Right. And when we get there, there's a lot of stuff that I've actually found out sort of recently that I think is going to be really useful. Yeah. Mainly around BMI. And like, I guess I didn't appreciate how bullshit BMI was. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly the thing. Right. Because I, I guess I guess I always held the view like BMI is an imperfect measure. Yeah. Right. But I didn't really realize that obesity, which sounds like a real thing, is actually like pretty much solely pegged to BMI. Right. Which means obesity is like a really rough measure because BMI is like kind of a bullshit measure. Yeah. It's just the problem is obesity is like a diagnosis. Right. So it's like, how are you supposed to diagnose something that's pegged to BMI, which is bullshit? Right. It's like back in the 50s, how you would peg or diagnose mental illness was if the nostril was thick enough to get an ice pick in there. <laughs> right. And it's like, well... <laughs> Now we have to question what mental illness is, right? Yeah, so we're going to have to rewrite the entire textbook. You know what my measure of obesity is? is, uh, At least for a man. For a woman, I don't know. Out the window. But for a man, it's if the shirt drapes on boobs or nipple. Because if it's booby, that's a fat guy. But if it's nipple, that's a buff guy. And I'll tell you this, Sean. Yeah. In the last year and a half, you have transitioned from boob to nipple. You have brought up my nipples a lot to me. Yeah. I just want the audience to know. I actually felt guilty about that. Because, like, last week I did, and there was this kind of pungent beat. And then you're like, see ya. (laughs) And then I told Stacey, I was like, I feel bad. Because, like, that's a compliment to me, actually. It's like, oh, you're so buff, I only see your nipples. Whereas if I wore the same shirt you were wearing, you'd see boob. (laughs) Oh, boy. So I don't, I don't know what we're keeping anymore. <laughs> well, all of this one, this is gold. <laughs> okay. So there is this study that came out of like 200 people. And in this study, pretty much everyone out of that 200 people yeah. ate less when they were stressed. Oh, interesting. Now, there's a lot of things about that study. Basically, the entire study was self-reported. Right. As yeah. in people reported when they were stressed and how much they ate. Right. They're all shy Trump voters. <laughs> I mean, so that is part of the problem is that people in reviews of studies or like kind of when you combine self-reporting with actual measurements, people have a tendency to underestimate how much they eat. Right. And some of that I think has to do with the social stigma you were talking about. Right. So, you know, I don't know if that study, I don't think that study's perfect. Right. So I don't think it's everybody eats less when they're stressed. But it at least suggests that like eating less while stressed is a real thing. It's out there, I think. And so there's this, other idea besides just the fact that like there's this inappetence thing that happens when you're stressed out and it shuts down your systems we talked about that the sympathetic nervous system it'll like shut down your guts and everything right there's this other idea that stress might be linked up to a hormone called leptin okay and leptin actually got a lot of press mm, 10 years ago yeah it's amazing what got pressed 10 years ago am i right (laughs) well so i think as soon as i describe what it does, you'd understand why it got press. Right. Leptin is something that can it was make a midterm you, election. <laughs> is why it can make you not hungry anymore. Okay, that's cool. It can make you feel right. like you're you're satisfied. You don't need to eat. So Doctor Oz was just shooting up bitches from the Ozarks right in the belly. I mean, but that is the situation. Is that people were like, can we get leptin injections and right. then help people manage their weight by just simply making it so they don't feel like eating anymore? Right. Right. As it turns out, a lot of people who are overweight actually have normal levels or even elevated levels of leptin in their Mm, body okay it's that the receptor for leptin doesn't seem to work very well man the human body is just like so set on fucking us yeah it always finds some kind of way (laughs) there's always some kind of twist very frustrating (laughs) 
for science. And I got to tell you, like biology wise, very frustrating. <laughs> and I will say that our stress system does kind of have an interplay with leptin. Right. Both the HPA and SAM systems will end up having a relationship with leptin through cortisol and through norepinephrine. But the relationship is really complicated. Okay. As in leptin levels seem to basically increase norepinephrine. So that's one of the stress hormones. Mm. But norepinephrine decreases leptin. Oh, geez. <laughs> and HPA increases leptin. Wow. But leptin decreases HPA signaling. So there's like all these negative it's all over the place. Yeah, and I think it's too complicated for us to actually say that there is a story with leptin and stress. Right. There might be one, but we just don't know about it yet. So here's the thing. Inappetence could be one reason why you eat less. Yes. But another reason you could eat less is because your stomach actively hurts. Okay? And that was one idea. I eat through it. But okay, keep going. <laughs> eat through the pain. Yeah, I hurt every time I eat it. But I'm like, <laughs> So. It's like, like tongue versus my gut. There's two sort of topics on that. Um, one of them, the second one that we'll get into is irritable bowel syndrome. Nice. But first that I want to talk about is increased pain perception. Oh, interesting. And so this is actually, I had no idea about this, but I think I know people who have stomach pain. The more stressed you are, the more pain you feel. Right. And maybe specifically visceral pain oh. as opposed to sort of like the emotional pain of watching all of Woody Allen's films. What's called somatic pain. Right. Um, soma means body. So that, that doesn't totally make a whole bunch of sense. But the somatic pain is more like skin level pain. Okay. So there are some people where if you prick their skin. Yeah. They have decreased pain sensation when they're stressed out. Okay. But oh, those same oh. people will kind of feel pain in their guts more acutely. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So huh. it's like one type of pain, the dial gets turned down a little bit. And then the other type of pain, the dial gets turned up. It's fucking cool, dude. Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting. All of that pain circuitry gets integrated in your brain at some point, And a lot of it gets integrated in the amygdala. And part of the process is kind of adding emotional context to the pain and weighing the pain. Deciding right. how much that pain matters for something. Man. And it seems like in stressful situations, because of the amygdala's role in stress, it might tune it such that you feel gut pain more when you're stressed out. And in cases of chronic stress, we kind of talked about this in the brain episode, the stress brain episode. In chronic stress, some of the connections in the amygdala kind of get more hairy. Like you get more connections in the amygdala. Right. And less in like someplace like the hippocampus. And that can maybe mean that in chronically stressed people, they always feel more pain in the visceral pain situation. Wow. And so maybe they're always feeling their guts more. Wow. Yeah, dude. I'm jealous of that. Why? <laughs> My guts are fucking cool, dude. <laughs> I, you you want to be more in touch with the guts? I think... It's like how some people feel like there's a severed relationship with God for whatever reason. Mm. I feel like the idea of having such an intimate relationship with my gut. Yeah. That I could feel its every movement and every pain. Sure. Is the essence of true love. Of like a Greek platonic love. And I'm envious of people who can feel their gut on such an intimate level. So you know that like. I fucking love that, that not correct theory about the bicameral mind. Yeah, sure. Right? So your enteric nervous system the nerves that enervate your guts yeah have as many nerves as like your spinal cord sweet and it is kind of like a second brain so maybe julian jane's bicameral mind he was thinking left and right load for schizophrenia 
but maybe he really should have been thinking brain and gut. Yeah, dude. Dude, and one of them is like the god. Well, probably your guts. <laughs> My guts, the god voice. Yeah, it's like, feed me. That is only going to make sense to literally dad. Like, literally. That's what? an out of print, like, discarded pseudo psychology book. Every once in a while, a YouTube video pops up of somebody being like, I just heard about the bicameral mind. It's, I mean, it's... And it explains all the voices I hear. Like, oh, no. <laughs> the first half is like, oh, yeah, it's kind of a fun idea. And the second half is like, oh, oh YouTube no. is a, like a repository of mental health victims. <laughs> okay, let's finish it up. Yes. Irritable bowel syndrome. IBS. IBS. The best Coen Brothers movie revolved around this problem. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> uh, you, you finished the well, joke for me. What movie is it? It's the Lady Killers. <laughs> Lady Killers! <laughs> J.K. Simmons, Tom what? Hanks. Possibly. I can't say the worst Coen Brothers movie. Right. I haven't seen them all. <laughs> <laughs> and I was not a fan of, like, the Hudsucker Proxy, for example. Right. I, damn, dude. You know, I like Lady Killers, but, like, it's interesting. So, uh, first of all, let me just say, I genuinely like it. And B, yeah, it's like a, th- I don't know, I thought it was mediocre. Like, sure. Sure, it's not as good as No Country for Old Men or Fargo or something, but, like, some people say it's bad. And, like, I don't know why it's bad, bad. Yeah, I it's don't. It's better I, than Spider-Man 3. I remember right? being disappointed. Is Spider-Man 3 considered a bad film or a good film? I don't know. It's better than Twilight. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think in the context of IBS, yeah. some people are a little bit touchy about that film because it's displayed in a comedic light. When no, it is, like, in fact, like I- a thing IBS that is very painful. About. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and okay, so so let's get into what Irritable Bowel Syndrome is. I have is, a- a- uh, IAS. Are you going to walk into this one, buddy? What what's IAS? Nathan? Irritable anal syndrome. <laughs> wow, the anus plays into the bowel part of that, so I'm not sure that you really need to do no, it. No, but just the hole, <laughs> like just the rim of my anus. Oh no, that's actually kind of true. I had an anal fissure a couple of years ago, and I I kind of want to see a doctor again, kind of soon, because my butthole after pooping has a little bit of irritation, and I'm kind of worried that like maybe my anal lining is like a little bit rawer or weaker since it's been cauterized and and so you know i don't want us to laugh at people with ibs thank uh, you yeah. <laughs> you brought it back <laughs> now that segment stays this, <laughs> this episode was supposed to be like 40 minutes <laughs> what it's only an hour three <laughs> okay irritable bowel syndrome is a collection of symptoms Mainly gut pain, gassiness, diarrhea, and or constipation. Right. Okay. Or both. Oh, right. That's what Andor uh, means. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, now, it is not clear what causes IBS. And right. because it's a grouping of symptoms, it might not just be one thing that causes it. It might not be one thing. It might be several distinct things. Right. Well, that have, like, different that, biological that causes. That sucks. Well, that's kind of like, that's what syndromes are. Right. Right. Is like, oh, interesting. We have a grouping of symptoms that tend to go together. For something we think is kind of the same. But, but a lot of times the treatment options for syndromes are not very good. Because we don't have a good idea of the biological underpinnings. That sucks. And so we do not have a good idea of what causes IBS. But one thing is uh, people with IBS do kind of have a pattern of that hyposensitivity to their skin. And hypersensitivity to gut pain that we were just talking about. Yeah. Right? So they have a tendency to have more gut pain and kind of a little bit less skin pain sensation they also seem to have reduced hippocampal signaling so the hippocampus was the part of the brain that might put a little bit of a dampener on like the hpa axis and stuff like that so they have reduced signaling there and they have increased norepinephrine levels so more stress hormone going around as we have mentioned a lot of times 
Normally, stress kind of stops gastric emptying. So, like, it kind of shuts down your stomach. Right. It's like, all right, stomach, you're on lockdown. Right. Another thing that stress can do is actually kind of hyperactivate what's called the distal colon. Yeah, you poop. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like vacate. You know what I mean? Vacate the premises and then run for it. Right, right. right. And so it's thought that, you know, that might actually be related to, like, the diarrhea symptoms that you see in IBS. Right. Is this kind of hyperactivity of certain parts of the colon and everything. It's sort of a dysregulation of the normal, nice functioning of your intestines. Mm. And in terms of this visceral hypersensitivity to pain, there's this hormone that we talked about when we talked about the HPA axis. Yeah. It's a corticotropin-releasing hormone, or CRH. And so that's part of the HPA axis, and it has a tendency to set off mast cells. Mast cells are the immune cells that are kind of like overly sensitive allergy assholes. Right. And they dump out like histamines and stuff like that. Right. And it seems like all of that business, mast cells being overactive, dumping out histamine, being dicks, all of that seems to be happening in IBS. So it seems like IBS has this immune component, this stress component, this pain component, all kind of coming together. Wow, that's. I think you need to change your research, man. Oh, I just, just I switch feel, over to IBS. I feel for that. Like, like it's hard to have a condition that is only half understood. It's almost more beguiling. Like, whereas we'll never understand why people are infected with that, right? <laughs> Shit. There's something metaphysical going on. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes. but like IBS, we're just like it feels like we're so close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so a lot of my research does involve the immune system and like kind of tweaking it so that it's more active or less active and stuff like that and so yeah. it's, it's crossed my mind it's crossed my mind to do some gut stuff yeah it's just it's kind of its own whole, it's a whole world, world. Yeah. yeah yeah gut immunity is very complex it's like narnia or the the musical cats because i've tried watching it twice and it's it's a whole thing <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to shift your mindset almost like 90 degrees from normal life more than i more than i knew I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that, that was it on this episode talking about stress, eating and not eating. Yeah. Right? Mogul, mogul, mogul. So I think next time we're going to take a brief break from stress and we're going to talk about lichen. That's true. We've had a lot of stressful stuff this year, guys. Yeah. We're going to stop talking about it briefly. Yeah. Pick, a lot pick, of COVID deaths. Pick up some other topics and everything and then and then we can get back to it a little bit later. Don't mm-hmm. worry. <laughs> One thing we should do is have an episode on managing stress. Because we've done a lot of talking about, like, how fucked up stress is. uh, And then have given, like, no information about what you can do about stress. It's interesting because I feel like our roles would finally be switched. Because I feel like I have, like, a lot of tactics for managing stress. (laughs) But you just said they're all eating. (laughs) (laughs) But my tactics, my top five tactics, for is just Panda Express, in and out. The taco truck down the street. The other taco truck in Gardena and Taco Bell if the other two are closed. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's thank Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Brian for art and Griffin for animation. Griffin, I hope our gifts got to you and I hope you're using them well. Oh, my God. Good job, buddy. Uh, our cousin's going to college and he's, he's tearing it up. Yeah, he's living that college life. Okay. And you can sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash Petri Dish. You can follow us on Twitter at Dish Podcast or send us an email if you have a question or you want to yell at Nathan about something at Petri Dish Pod at gmail.com. And we will see you next time. Have a good time.
Da 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 da